Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we model your brain with weird and wonderful science. I'm Ian Wolfe. In this episode, I chat with engineer, transhumanist and my good friend, Brendan Clark, about the year in artificial intelligence, where it is and where it could go. Brendan ran as a candidate for the Science Party and the Fusion Party. Brendan wants to increase the amount of science and technology in the world in order to better solve the world's problems. I chatted with Brendan over Zoom and we began the conversation. There's been a lot happening in the world of cutting-edge technology and of course most of what's been happening over the last 12 months it's almost exactly the birthday of ChatGPT being released upon the world. I think it already is past. <laughs> I think it, yeah I think you're right I think it's actually whizzed past because it was November wasn't it? <laughs> so it's already gone. And then there's been all this weird stuff. I mean, it wasn't a lot in the mainstream press, so maybe not everybody heard about the melodrama, the little soap opera that happened where the CEO got kicked out. Uh, Well, first off, my understanding was in around July this year, Sam Altman, the chief executive officer of the OpenAI Foundation, stated that it was a really good thing, it was a feature that... He wasn't in full charge that unlike most boards of most corporations, they could sack him rather than him sacking them. And that this was a deliberately designed feature because, of course, the whole purpose of OpenAI when it was started was that the people who started, including him, believed that their research will lead to an artificial general intelligence, one that can do everything that humans can do, possibly including thinking, and that this sort of AGI in the hands of greedy capitalists or corporations whose only interest is profit because they're like a slow AI themselves that want to turn the whole world into a paperclip of profit, Mm. that this is dangerous and so you need good guys. You need people who want to align the general intelligence, the artificial general intelligence, with the interests of humanity and goodness and moralness and doing nice things. And so as a result, they have a non-profit foundation where the board can sack the CEO if they think that he's doing something dangerous or he's not suitable to that mission. So that's unusual. And it looks like when he said they could sack him, he was not telling the truth because they couldn't sack him because when they tried to sack him for reasons that they haven't given, he pretty much managed to get Microsoft on board to almost blackmail everybody into saying, well, if you don't bring him back, all the employees that he's charismatically impressed will quit as well. And so the board was forced to quit and he was reinstated as CEO. And it looks like it's going to be run as a business instead of a non-profit foundation and that the whole protect humanity bit might be going away. That's my summary. I think your analogy was really good about corporations, right? (laughs) Yeah, It's like... For, for the people who don't know, uh, Nick Bostrom came up with an idea called the paperclip. Oh, it was Nick Bostrom, wasn't it? Yeah. 
the paperclip argument for how to align AI with humanity. And the idea was that if we create a super intelligent AGI, it may be super dangerous. And so we could try to limit it by giving it simplistic tasks like making paperclips. Now, obviously, it's a silly argument, but it's it's ideas to give you an idea of how something so simple and so safe could go out of control. And so the idea is you give the AGI a task of creating paperclips because it's very, very safe. It doesn't give control of weapon systems or anything like that. And the AGI, obviously not having alignment with human values, basically tries to have an optimization problem, which is to create as many paperclips as it can and then effectively turns the world into paperclips, right? And including really ridiculous stuff like turning people into paperclips because people contain minerals that can be used to make paperclips. And because the AI doesn't necessarily have our, our human values and may not have our our reasoning capability, doesn't know the difference between creating paperclips out of people, which is not very efficient, but it's possible, right? And doing it, right? And it also and so doesn't know when to stop. Exactly. It doesn't know when to stop, right? There's even a game you can play on the internet, which is called the Paperclip Simulator, and your idea is to take over the whole universe with paperclips. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> right. But corporations are literally an exact paperclip problem. Corporations are there to maximise profits. They always want a double-digit percentage return year on year to infinite growth. And we live in a finite world and you can't create finite profits in a finite world, but that's what corporations try to do anyway. Well, that's right. So there's uh, been arguments that corporations are really a form of slow AI with human components and that their right. paperclip is profit. And that's why the world's being slowly destroyed by these slow AIs that only have one possible goal. And it almost looks like the slow AIs have eaten the company that was there to protect, or the organisation that was there to protect us against fast AI. There's two two problems. One is the first issue is the alignment issue. Now, the alignment of AI with human values is an almost impossible task for the first reason, which is most people don't really talk about this one, but we do not have alignment of human values within humanity itself. Yes. Right. <laughs> and so, so the issue is we, we, you know, we have the same things, things like, you know, water and food and all that sort of stuff that we need. However, there are certain companies out in the world, I don't know if I'm going to supposed to name them, but anyway, they don't believe that water is a human right. So if we have people out there that have these sort of values, it depends on who's training the machines to have humanity and which values we instill upon them. And so I like to think that artificial intelligence or AGI, if we create one, we are their parents, right? And so if you have a bad parent, most of the time, barring genetic differences and, and strokes of luck, you'll generally have bad children and vice versa. So if we're going to align AI with human values, then we need to make sure what we're training it, what we're using it for, and how we nurture these things because when they become super intelligent that's the difference between i suppose us being destroyed or us living in a utopia alongside the machines i think that's exactly the right way to look at it i agree and i think not only is that the right way to go forward but i think it also explains 
the metaphor works both ways because I think it also explains to some degree the fear of AI and the fear that it might become aware or in any way like us is really in some ways a fear of children. Like children are like all the things that they're afraid of AI. So if people are concerned that, look, they think differently to us, they have different values and we don't know what they're going to do in the future and they might wipe us out without even noticing or they might just do things so differently that we're, they kill us all. And that's exactly what people worry about with children, that who knows what values these young people are going to have and they don't respect things the way we used to and they don't like the things we like and they could make any sort of decisions and we won't have a say and that is terrible. And I think that's kind of where a lot of this projective stuff comes from. I don't think we're very close, really. I think people are so easily fooled by something that can sort of talk. We, as humans, project agency and self-awareness onto inanimate objects and onto animals all the time. If they show the slightest sign, even, even if they don't, like, you know, if a tree drops branches on you, you wonder why the tree's angry at you. You know, if there's a storm, anything, we'll just put agency there. And I think that's what's happening here is that people are assuming it's already intelligent. There's people already saying, oh, look, if you're really polite, you get a better answer. Or if you, people are now trying to tip chat GPT. It's such an American way of looking at the world. They think that if you pretend to tip it, it'll give you a better service. As if that was in any of the texts that it would have analysed and formed a model of online. Uh, it could be true, right? Because they got they got different training metrics and things like that. And tipping's just, well, I think it's horrible, but there is a mechanism within ChatGDP where you can give it different penalties and things like that. So tipping may just be one of these jailbreaks you hear about that just happens to tap into that sort of built-in function, right? To try to align it to the answers that you want to get. You're trying to bribe uh, it with pretend money that it never gets. Correct, right? Uh, because it, it's not alive and it doesn't have real values, but it's been trained. And I and remember, it's not just this tokenization stuff that people talk about, right? At the end of the day, it's a product. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so yes, it does all this uh, stuff with the you know, large language models do, but it's been a it's been massaged to give responses about so you can sell it to a product that people can use. That's what chat GPT is, right? Absolutely. It's like the large language model, but with chat functions built in and yes. it's more aligned to actually creating those types of input and output responses that you want. If you want to do something more clever, you can use the APIs, yeah. right? But I think that's how, that's how these jailbreaks work. Like there's ones where the chat GPT has gone a little bit dumb, right? I think it's because they're after the dev day, they've optimized it with this GPT-4 Turbo. Yes. To make it faster. And now people are complaining that it's performing worse and it won't answer certain questions it used to. So yes. now people are actually telling it that, you know, they've got injuries or they've got no fingers and stuff like that. And then the AI is now giving them the responses they, they want. Right. So that means the model is capable of it, right? But the model has been instructed not to give those answers. And by making it give a false sense of sympathy, Yes. Uh, the the thing is now being able to give the answers that you want. Yes. So, yes. so aren't yeah. they just basically, they're trying to protect the company, right? To some degree, they're trying to make sure they don't get sued for their model mm. putting out 
how to commit crimes or defaming people or doing all sorts of things that the company could be liable for the model saying. And so they've tried to get it to not say all the things that would just spontaneously say to you otherwise. But of course, because it's not a program, this is what a lot of people don't seem to quite follow. It, while it's not a person, it's also not just code written that it's following directions and if then or some sort of logic in that way. Mm. It's more you almost have to have an intuition about it. But I think what's happening with things like the tipping is I suspect it's reaching into the stories that was trained on. And it's seen that if you offer someone a tip, they're usually in the service industry and that they're willing to do so much. But as I think we've covered previously, or at least I've done on the show, if you tell ChatGPT to be a character in a story, it will try to, at some point, and you can get some things a bit more like what you might think you want, but it's going to follow tropes in stories, which don't follow tropes in real life. And at some point, it's going to decide that it's really an underground hero or a rebel or a villain or something in a story and just make stuff up and not do what you want because it's acting like a story, not like real life. Mm. Yeah, but I think I think that's where we need to train people, right? <laughs> right? It's I suppose you know you, you can give a uh, a tool mm-hmm. to a, a person off the street and they can do something with it, or you can give it to a, a an artistic person who can then create fine art, right? Yes. And it's and it's about knowing your limitations, yes. right, and, and also learning, you're, you're practising, right? So, one, we're making the models better. Two, we need to make the people better, right? Because if people don't understand how the models work, they may believe the answer's coming back. And that's already happened where people believe yes. that these things are correct without understanding the limitations of the, the technology, right? That's and right. therefore you trust it and it's untrustable, right, because it just makes stuff up sometimes. Like now, the lawyers. if you understand these models, that, that's fine, right? You can use it as a tool to enhance your creativity, to correct your essays, to write code, but you can't trust it 100%, right? Just like you can't trust a, a person that joins your company on day one, giving them a complex task and trusting everything they do. It takes time to understand both the task and the person doing the task. And so, one, the machine's got to get better, but also, second, the people have to get better. We have to understand limitations. We have to understand the prompting, and we have to educate people that this is how the technology works at a high level. Yes, right? yes. And uh, this is how you use it to get the best answer that you want. Yes. But, no, you can't trust it to go and give you medical advice and go do it. Maybe you can ask it for medical advice, but just like you're just asking some random off the internet for any cool <laughs> advice, you might want to get a second opinion, right? You're listening to Ian Wolf of Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the community radio network and podcast over the internet on the domain diffusionradio.com. But that goes into the other argument, which is the dangers of these things. I keep hearing all these fear mongers talking about how ChatGPT can potentially make a bomb or can make yes. some weapons or whatever. Well, they're called books, right? <laughs> you could do this today, right? But it doesn't you, have you, any you arms. 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> you can get this stuff off the internet today, right? But but at the end of the day, we, we have AI and the scaremongering is that we create AI and some bad person's somehow going to get this, right? That's right. Now, statistically, there's more good people in the world than bad people, right? And so even if you've got a bunch of bad people of AI, you got a lot more good people of AI. Now, I don't like to use the gun argument about bad guy of the gun and good guy of the gun, but... But in this case, it sort of works, right? Hmm. you got a lot more people who are aligned for good with AI than bad people. Now, you might have more powerful people with bad people, but also potentially you got people who are aligned with your I values. I don't think that's right. the best metaphor <laughs> for no, so no, many no, reasons. But, uh, uh, okay, it's flawed, but, but what I'm trying to say is that it, it's always about what if it makes a... A virus, a computer virus. But it can't on its own, right? So this is the other thing is people... Well, it can't at the moment. No, no, but, but what, what I'm trying fear. to say is yeah. that yeah. these models, all the models mm. that we have, the generative AI models that is the current technology of 2022, 2023, mm. none of them have any volition or ideas or anything of their own. They don't have any motivation. So what they do is they sit there doing absolutely nothing until a mm. human comes along and gives them a prompt and says, I want this result. And it sort of gets its noise and it tries to get the result out of the noise that matches mm. what you've prompted it for, whether that's a picture or a poem or a description of how to do something or a novel or whatever it is that you've asked mm. it to do, whether it's a language model or a picture model or a music model. But it doesn't have its own ideas and motivations for what it wants to do. It's not sitting there plotting and it doesn't, at the moment, it can't reach out and create a virus because it doesn't have access to virus printers and things and it doesn't have a desire to do so because it doesn't have a desire for anything it's not even got a worms level of intention to do anything and it's not alive which means all these ideas about oh inevitably anything that's intelligent is going to be like it's alive and it's going to immediately desire to keep itself alive and it's going to act to protect itself and so well no it's not a biological entity. There's no reason for any of that to ever happen, let alone for it to get control of bombs or get control of banks or whatever. That requires a very high level of desire and motivation and planning and access to things. It just, it just seems to me people have been reading science fiction and then applying it to the current day without realising that these tools are not those tools. Oh, of course, but that's 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 the tools we got today. It's the it's the possible future. But the answer is by these fear mongers is we want to stick it in a lab somewhere mm. and hide it away from the public because we can't trust them. Yes, right. Yes. Uh, now, my philosophy on that is that let's just say they do that, and then we get proper, you know, conscious AGI down the thing and the public's in the dark yes <laughs> right because guess what we locked in a lab because it's too dangerous for the, the plebs right we can't give yes. it to them we'll give it to large corporations right we'll give it we'll, we'll drip feed them technology right well if the agi ever gets away then no one's prepared for it now if if we got everyone using ai and yes. everyone understands it yes right the education level will come up Yes. Right, there more technology will be open. There'll be better technology, and if the horror scenarios ever did eventuate, yes, well, you've got lots of people with their own AGIs that 
may be aligned to people and will somehow be able to thwart <laughs> the uh, the escape of the uh, of the entity, right? Or so, at least understand what's going on and take what might be appropriate action because they know what's going on. I mean, this is the thing. As you say, if it's only a small elite that actually understand it, and at the moment part of the problem is with a neural network, it's not very transparent how the model decides what it's doing and where the weights and biases are in the neural network for it to draw this particular thing or say that particular thing or act in this way. So you know mm. how you trained it and you know what your prompt is, but to know the best way to prompt it, like at the moment it's an experimental art because we don't know, we're still working out, everyone's still working out the best way to get what you want from a language model or from an art model and now also from music models. And it's a little bit of a intuitive art to work out and a little bit of trial and error to see what works and what gives you the best results. Yeah. Because we and, don't and understand. I, I, yeah, exactly. Uh, but, you know, even even the uh, generative art, right, you still take someone with a lot of skill, a lot of effort to make something that looks good, right? Anyone can make some pictures, but to make something that's impactful, that yes. people want to appreciate, that actually can match something. Uh, I think there was a, I can't remember the guy's name, he does a AI channel and he creates thumbnails and stuff like that. Yep. And uh, of course he uses it extensively, this generative art for generating thumbnails, but it takes him a few hours, right, to do. Yes. And you say, well, like, you know, you can wrap a couple of commands and you can get a picture. Well, yeah, you can, but if you want to make it match the content that you're making, that's going to service your page, that takes ingenuity, right? It exactly. takes a lot of trial and error, uh, a lot of thought to see if that's the the type of image that you actually want to do and what's um, in your to head match the to what's on exactly the exactly and those tools are going to get better of course like as you can that was the tool you showed me that day where you can actually just type in a sentence it'll do it in real time yes yeah which right. is just amazing so that's a stable diffusion turbo where that's they've right. managed to prune the model in such a way that it can run instead of taking I don't know, any, depending on what hardware you've got, it can take anything from, you know, 30 seconds to minutes to a few seconds, and they can basically make it 10 times faster with this new model. It can do less things because it's a smaller model, but it can do them enormously faster even on just a plain CPU computer at home or on your phone. Hmm. And that sort of technology is really good because, A, it's fast. B, it works as an ID generator. Yes. Right. I, I'm not sure what I want, and uh, therefore I can just type some random commands. All right. I get something that's close, and then I can iterate over that you to get something that I actually really just, want. Exactly. Yeah, you exactly. fine tune it, so you can say, you know, you start off with something, and it the the first word you type in pops up on the screen, and then you add things, and it changes it as you're typing, which is massively different to how it's worked for the last twelve months. So mm. it's quite an exciting time although because it's so new that not everyone's able to use it yet that plays with this technology yeah but that sort of goes into a i forgot what to talk about which is the the hardware problem right but one, one of my my uh predictions at the moment is that we'll probably have major disruptions in the society over the next three to five years but closer to three years and maybe proper agi in 2029 some people think it's going to be next year and other people think it's going to be towards the end of the century. I think I think the absolute latest date would be about 2030. 
for AGI. Not ASI, but AGI. Uh, the difference between AGI and ASI is AGI is artificial general intelligence. Now, there's lots and lots of different uh, definitions about what that means. But the the most average one is that the, the AI can do something that the average human can do, right? Yes. So, and maybe not all tasks, but most most tasks, right? Now, there's diff- different ones that OpenAI has got one about economic valuable work and things like that. And other companies have ones where it's better than humans. Okay. Right? Where you got ASI, which is artificial super intelligence. Yes. And so once you get to AGI, the AGI will then develop AGI. And because it's better, it will develop something even better and it'll iterate much faster. You'll get something that's got super intelligence. Brendan Clark, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. That was part one of my discussion about artificial intelligence with Brendan Clark. Listen next week for part two. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Are you a scientist, artist, biohacker or maker who'd like to be interviewed about your work? Would your company like to sponsor Diffusion? Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please subscribe to the Diffusion Science Radio channel on youtube.com slash c slash Diffusion Radio and rate the show on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolf. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 28 stations on the community radio network, including Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM in New South Wales, 8CCC in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2MVR in Nambucca Valley, 3MVR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, City Park Radio 7LTN in Launceston, Tasmania, and 2XXFM in Canberra. Diffusion is narrowcast on Indigo FM 88 in northeast Victoria. Diffusion is syndicated globally on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website www.diffusionradio.com that's www.diffusionradio.com and check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, you can explore more than a thousand previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Make a donation through paypal.me slash ianwolf or Join my patrons at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick, everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits photography, collecting. Why study science?
study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.